Hello and welcome to Nudge, the consumer psychology podcast with me, Phil Agnew. Now, previously on the show, we've talked about the benefits of talking to customers. We've highlighted the insights you can only learn by asking customers direct questions. And we know the value of of chatting directly with your customers. But to balance the debate and to get a different point of view, I decided to invite Adam Ferrier on the show. Adam is a very well-known consumer psychologist, brand strategist, and a real authority on behavioural economics. He is a co-founder at Thinkabel, which was recently awarded Australia's Creative Agency of the Year, and he's a brilliant author. Adam's got a slightly different perspective when it comes to talking to customers. Rather than encouraging his clients to host focus groups, send out surveys, and call up customers, he says we should stop listening to them. This is a really fascinating 20-minute discussion, and it kicked off with Adam explaining the problem with brands today. The podcast I'd like to recommend today is the D2C pod, brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. The D2C pod is a podcast all about all the things direct-to-consumer. The hosts cover everything from starting, growing, and optimizing e-commerce stores and D2C brands. If you're interested in the stories behind your favorite consumer brands, this is a podcast for you. To start, I'd suggest checking out episode 318, which features the CMO of Feastables. So listen to D2C pod wherever you get your podcasts. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. It's like trying to remember the name of someone you've just met at a networking event. I've made this mistake before, introducing a colleague to my new friend Dan, only to find out his name was actually Ian. Being personal with your customers is important, but keeping on top of all that information can be very hard. That's where HubSpot's all-new service hub comes in. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. It's got an AI-powered help desk and an AI-powered chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. Plus, it never forgets a first name. All of that can help you scale support and drive retention and revenue. That means better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit hubspot.com service to do more for your customers today. Many years ago, I had the pleasure of having uh, dinner with Malcolm Gladwell. He was in Australia and um, I invited him to dinner. Him, myself and a whole bunch of Australia's top CMOs and we just had a free-form dinner and we asked him about marketing and so on. And, um, and I can remember the CMO of Coca-Cola at the time um, asked him a question and said, you know, Malcolm, what do you think uh, people want from brands? What do you think people want from Coca-Cola? And Malcolm just sat there for a while quietly and then he just said, I think they just want to be left alone. And it was just such a poignant answer and it was so true, you know. Like people don't want to be bombarded by ads. People don't want brands screaming at them all the time and all this kind of stuff. And if you ask people what they want, they'll probably say, I want to be left alone. I want to see less ads. I don't want your brand in my face all the time. So park that. That's one little data point. The other data point is I do a lot of public speaking and I get briefed on a lot of brands and I do, you know, I speak to the marketing team or the sales team or whatever. And I get taken through a, brand, a quick brand induction and all the brands have 
as one of their values or one of their things, customer obsession or consumer obsession or, uh, you know, we're obsessed about the customer. We do whatever they say. You know, that's what our purpose is. And it just struck me as bullshit. And there's a massive, I think, inauthenticity that's happening in the in the marketing communications world that we're here to um, appease and serve the customer and, and that's what our purpose is and so on. If we really were there for the customer need, I wonder how many brands would actually exist. I wonder if in every single category there would be a tenth of a brand's actually available because we don't need another soft drink, we don't need another car manufacturer and so on and so on. And that started getting me thinking about the difference between what customers say they want and what brands deliver and within that the role of market research. There's there's an imbalance in um, listening to the customer um, and trying to appease them at the expense of building what I would call strong brand intelligence and putting that out into the world. And so it just feels like uh, there's a lot of rhetoric around listening to the customer, um, a lot of which is inauthentic. And, in fact, the more you do listen to the customer, the more you act on what the customer says, then in some ways the worse it is for your brand. One of the main pillars of Adam's argument is that market research isn't fit for the job. Rather than actually revealing the insights we need to grow a brand, it makes brands homogenous and devalued. He talks about this at length in his recent book titled Stop Listening to the Customer. And here he is explaining this idea to me. So I, I think that the more we find ourselves listening to the customer and acting on what the customer says, I reckon there's, there's three kind of inherent issues with that. Number one, it's often inaccurate. Number two, it, it homogenizes your brand. And the third is it devalues your brand. I'll just talk about those three things really quickly. The first one is lots of market research is, um, is inaccurate. And, we, and we, know, we know this. We know that consumers are really bad historians um, and really bad at, uh, finding, at justifying their own behaviour. We also know they're even worse futurists and they're really bad at predicting um, their behaviour. They're quite good at giving precise contextual information about what's happening around them. Uh, somebody once said to me, the only thing focus groups are good for is for designing focus group rooms. So ask a focus group, what do you think of this room? What do you think of a lighting? What do you think of a food? They'll give you pretty accurate information. Ask them what they're going to buy in three months' time or how they're going to respond to that ad or, uh, you know, something about the past and they're going to give you much less reliable information. When we ask people what they want or when we look at understand um, how people make decisions, what we realise is that people have very little need for your particular brand. They need the category your brand exists in. Uh, they, you know, they go along their day, then there's a, a category entry point or a category driver, and that occurs at a category level. So I'm thirsty. I need to buy a new car. Um, I need a new phone. When you ask people what they want, they normally are talking about what they want from the category. And then I think what tends to happen is most of the brands tend to meet the category needs and the category needs are generic by kind of definition. So the more brands are around, the more they're listening to the category need, the more they meet those category needs, then the more um, homogenised they become. The longer brands are around, there's this kind of regression to the mean where they start to all become more and more similar to each other. 
So take financial services uh, in Australia. There's the, what's called the big four, which are the big four banks. The big four banks at a kind of at a brand positioning level are all pretty much the same, except they have different colours. So they have different distinctive brand assets. So they're all meeting the same needs, but just with different colours. If I'm if I'm being really really cynical about it, Adam is pretty blunt about the problems with market research. In his book, he states three core issues. The first is that people don't think how they feel. The second is that people don't say what they think. And the third is that people don't do what they say. This inaccuracy leads to homogenized, devalued brands. Adam's not alone with this point of view, by the way. Steph Stevens-Davodovitz, in his book Everybody Lies, traces this inaccuracy with market research right back to the 1950s. One paper from the time analysed official survey information collected by local government on the residents of Denver. The survey had asked residents what percentage of them voted, how many of them gave to charity, and how many owned a library card. The researchers then matched what people said in the survey with what they actually did by collecting the real results from government records. Turns out the surveys were wildly inaccurate. Due to the social desirability bias, thousands of participants lied and overestimated their answers on the survey to make themselves look better. Has anything changed in 70 years? Well, a recent survey looked to discover just that. In the survey, University of Maryland graduates were asked various questions about their college experience. The answers were then compared with the official records. They found that people today still gave consistently wrong information in ways that made them look good. Fewer than 2% reported that they graduated with a lower than 2.5 grade point average. In reality, 11% did. And 44% said they donated to the university in the past year, but in reality, only 28% did. But it's not just our education and charitable donations that we lie about. The same is true for more promiscuous activities. Americans each year report using far more condoms than the total amount that are sold across the country. So market research isn't always accurate, clearly. And if you follow it blindly, without the right context, you could end up making some silly mistakes. I asked Adam for some examples of companies that have blindly followed market research. So two examples. Um, The first hasn't happened, but I'm scared it will, and that's test cricket. Every year um, I see um, the Global Cricket Association or various countries talking about the length of test cricket being five days and people saying it's too long and this keeps on getting threatened to be shortened to four days. And I keep on thinking, my God, of course people are going to say that it's too long. Of course it's too long. But the very proposition of test cricket is its length. And that's and if you listen to the customer and did, did market research and people said, yeah, it's too long, it needs to fit in with my kind of day a little bit more, we want to shorten it, it's going to make it more and more like everything else. And so so maybe a way to reconcile that is leave Test Cricket alone, do what they've done, create a uh, big bash, uh, 20 over, 2020, whatever you call it, but leave the actual brand of Test Cricket alone. And you can see them constantly struggling with that because it's constantly against what consumers say they want. Another example is Twitter. Many years, about five years ago or three years ago, saying, uh, Twitter did a whole lot of market research. Everyone said they wanted to be able to have longer tweets and uh, 140 characters. And so they doubled the tweet length, 
there was no extra usage of Twitter. They publicised some pretty weird kind of spurious um, kind of results. But basically what they've done is they've diluted their proposition around really short, sharp, creative messages. They've made it longer. They've made you be able to put more attachments onto it and so on. And, and at the time they were doing it, I was thinking, oh, my God, they're going to completely kill this brand. They haven't done that. It, but it, it was just emblematic of a, a company not quite understanding their proposition around, you know, the creativity that you need for a short, sharp message and thinking, shit, people are no longer, therefore we should make it longer. Twitter's USP is forcing users to make their points concise. That's the whole purpose of the platform. If you need to make a longer point, then use a different service. But when Twitter asked their users what they wanted, most struggled to acknowledge this. And instead, the users simply asked about removing the only limits they could think of, which in Twitter's case is the character count. This is a classic problem with market research. If you asked users what suggestions they have to improve your product or what problems they currently have, often they'll invent something that sounds plausible just to please the researcher. It reminds me of the race for social networks to add stories to their applications. Over the last two years, we've seen Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, and even LinkedIn race to add a stories functionality to their platform. This feature almost certainly comes from users' feedback. But it comes at a cost. Slowly and surely, all of these social networks start to look similar, with all of them racing to add identical features. So you might be wondering, like I was at this stage of my conversation with Adam, which companies actually don't listen to their customers and and which companies are successful by ignoring customers? Well, Adam's got two great examples of companies that do just that. When I think of good examples of this, one I think the best example, I think, the best two examples I think, and two examples I talk about in the book are IKEA and Apple. And I guess a little bit kind of controversially, I describe those two brands as the least consumer-centric brands in the world. They're the brands that listen to the customer the least um, and refuse to deliver on what the customer wants. And so IKEA, for example, if you want to buy a, an IKEA bookcase, you have to travel for at least uh, half an hour to get there. You have to walk through a very long, windy path to be able to get your IKEA bookcase. You then need to pack it into your car. Then you then need to get it home. You then need to uh, build the uh, build the bookcase yourself, and and away you go. Now we know that they work through various mechanics and uh, cognitive biases and things called the effort paradox or the IKEA effect or whatever it is. As people see lots of value in the more effort you put into something, you tend to value it more. So it's not a market research group in the world or a consumer in the world who will say to you, I want it to be as hard as possible to buy and assemble and, and display, have that IKEA bookcase because I will then value it more. The more you listen to the customer, the more they'll say, I want it easy to get that IKEA bookcase. And IKEA must have had that market research back to them a million times over the years, and they've just ignored it. And so, and I just think that's wonderful uh, in terms of building a strong brand. So I think that's a really good example. The other example is obviously Apple, and, and Apple make it as hard as possible. They try, they entwine you in a whole kind of infrastructure of inbuilt obsolescence, dongles and cords that don't match each other, weird payment systems who don't quite know what you're paying for what. Let's make it as hard as they kind of 
strangle you and wrap you in an Apple ecosystem that's impossible to get out of. It's not consumer driven. It's that's business, that's brand driven. And again, I really admire that. You know, I think you know, good on them. They 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 know what they're doing. They know how to build a big, strong company. Uh, there's, again, there's not a consumer in the world who will say, uh, "I want as many dongles floating around me as possible to make it as hard as possible to." connect all of my different devices together it's just not going to happen adam's examples really resonate and they immediately got me thinking of other very successful companies who decided against listening to the customer amazon prime famously went against market research when launching prime no consumer told them that they'd be interested in spending a hundred dollars a year for free delivery and yet millions and millions of us have signed up if facebook had asked a focus group if they'd log in every day to a platform to see what their friends are up to, you would have had a room full of shaking heads. And yet, a quarter of the world's population do exactly that every day. But these mammoth brands aren't the only good examples. Here's Adam talking about another brand, a much smaller brand, who also ignored the customer. One of the brands I've worked with for, for many years is a, is a hotel brand in Australia called the Art Series Hotel. And they have a, a proposition around art-inspired art art memorable experiences. And so we've done loads of things with them over, over the years. Um, and the first thing we did was a thing called Still Banksy, where we um, invited people to stay the night and steal the art. And if they could steal um, the art and get away with it, from that, ho- from that hotel chain, uh, then they got to keep that, in that particular case, a, a Banksy worth about $20,000 at the time. Um, somebody got caught, that made PR, then we put another Banksy up and, and that one didn't get stolen. But that was the first of many different things we've done with that particular brand. The last thing we did was a thing called Art and Micro where we had a, a, you know, a micro art exhibition. We've done something called Reverse Reviews where instead of um, people reviewing the hotel, the hotel reviewed every single guest we did something and gave them you know, a, star, a star ranking from one to five stars. We did something called the overstay checkout, where if somebody was, if nobody was using, needing to use your room the next night, then you could stay that night for free and you know, keep on staying there until somebody needed your room. But we did all of these kind of stunts uh, and constantly kind of built the brand that way through, through these ideas. Um, and the brand just kind of got famous for, for doing these kind of things and, and became kind of got a bit of cool cachet. But every, all the employees, all the service staff, every, you know, the front of house, everybody had to have really understand what the brand was about, why the brand was doing these kind of crazy things. And it made it less reliant on traditional advertising. So truthfully... I'm not 100% convinced by this argument. I still think there is value in talking to your customer in some scenarios. But I'm very aware of how easy it is to get useless feedback if you ask the wrong questions. There is a really fine line when it comes to market research. It's very easy to ask what you want and doing so can end up with some really useless results. That's why often it's best to follow Adam's advice and to not ask anything at all. And yet, There will still be scenarios where you need to conduct research, where you need to talk to your customers. Perhaps your boss is urging you to do so or your team simply requires it. So I asked Adam if he absolutely had to speak to the customer, what would he ask? That's a really good question. When I was in 
doing psychology, we realised very early on the best way to get accurate information was to not ask the customer, but ask the people around the customer. So do collateral interviews. So if you're interested in what a certain guy, how how if you if you're interested in that man at the bar, let's just say it was a man, uh, and what he does there and how long he's there, if you ask him how long he sits there, he might give you one answer. If you ask his wife how long is he at the bar, she'll probably give you a more accurate answer. Um, or if you ask the barman about that particular person, they might give you a better answer. So do collateral interviews. Ask people around the people who you're interested in, get their opinion. The second thing is if you are going to try to get information from that particular uh, man at the bar, A, get that information by observing as much as you can rather than asking them anything. B, if you do want to ask them anything, then ask them about the context that they're in rather than trying to ask them to project forward or think back. And they're, that's kind of, they're kind of the overarching principles that we would we would use when we get stuck where we actually have to ask people or, or, or kind of get um, primary data. So ask others and ask for context. Two solid bits of advice right there. If you need to conduct research, try these collateral interviews where you ask others about the customer. So ask them how many times do you think your partner would use this service? How often do you think your husband would spend at this place? And if you need to speak directly to the customer, ask them questions about the context they're in right now. Don't ask questions about the past or future. That can lead to some biased results. Ultimately, humans lie all the time. We all do. Sometimes we know we're lying and sometimes we don't even know that we're lying. An example is that more than 90% of college professors say they do above average work. It's obviously impossible, it's obviously a lie, but most of them don't even know they're lying. And one quarter of high school seniors think they're in the top 1% for their ability. The problem here is that these types of questions, they force dishonest results. They don't take into account the biases that we know consumers and individuals have. What Adam has talked through today has hopefully opened your eyes to some of the perils of market research. So next time your boss asks you to conduct some research or an agency talks through their latest market research report, ask yourself, is this really accurate? And do we really need to talk to the customer in this scenario? As we've heard, blindly following customer advice generally leads to a homogenized brand with similar products that make it too easy for customers to switch between one brand and the next. As IKEA and Apple have learnt, sometimes it really does pay to be different. Okay, if you've enjoyed this episode, then I think you'll love Adam's book. It's titled Stop Listening to the Customer. I've left a link to the book in the show notes. And if you want to work with Adam or get in touch with him, you can check out his agency, Thinkabell. I've left a link to their website as well. And if you've got a five minutes spare today, I'd really appreciate if you left me a review on Apple Podcasts. Now, I can't guarantee that I'll listen to all of your feedback. Obviously, I can't after today's episode. After all, we know how inaccurate some of your feedback might be, but I do promise to read every single review. So please do go ahead and leave one. That is all from me today. Thank you again for listening to this episode of Nudge. I'll see you in two weeks for another episode. Cheers. 